welcome to the Messy Antics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Hey guys, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we have, I think, what's going to be a really fun conversation as we dive into something that is very uh, pertinent in the body around us today as we look at uh, you know, the Asbury uh, outpouring revival, um, continued worship, whatever you want to call what was happening at Asbury and has now kind of um, spontaneously spread across a number of other universities um, and, uh, and such. And I've even seen some some reports of it occurring in some secular universities and, and such around the U.S. as well. And so we just wanted to have a conversation among the four of us and invite you guys to uh, to join into that conversation, whether it's just by listening to this episode or hopefully you'll uh, interact with us online in comments and, and such on, uh, on social media or wherever you're finding the podcast app and have just a, a, an open conversation on what does revival look like? What does an outpouring look like? What does it mean? to be uh, uh, immersed or, or baptized or uh, infilled or however you want to word it with the Holy Spirit, with the Ruach HaKodesh, what is a move of the Spirit? What does the gifts of the Spirit look like, etc.? Um, and just kind of see where the conversation goes because I think it's important that we have a authentic understanding but also recognize where um, healthy boundaries should be laid and so on. Yeah, and to bring it to where we are because the, the Messiantics podcast is about Messiantics, Messianic related things. The, the reality is that as we deal with different things, this happened with the Toronto outpouring, this happened with the Brownsville revival, now the Asbury revival, the Messianic movement is not a, uh, a unified thought. It's not like the Borg where everybody's connected to one mind and we just share that thought but it is it's a unique blend of different um, foundational understandings so how do we as messianic leaders relate to something like the asbury outpouring or revival uh, because i've seen uh statements made by messianic leaders that were very for what was happening there there were statements that were very against what was happening there and for different reasons and and some of the reasons for and against were valid reasons these were things that people had good thoughts about in dealing with it and so because as messianic believers we are connected in some way to both uh, traditional judaism that does not yet believe in yeshua and to the christian world uh, which is uh, in some ways separate in some ways connected to what we are how do we relate to something like the asbury revival because we all were asked uh, at least I, I know in our congregation we had people that asked us what do you think about this how what's your opinion about this and so on and i actually wrote a a blog that was directed uh, solely to uh, my beliefs or my understandings or my thoughts on the Asbury revival and things like that. So, um, so to to bring it into that realm, I, I don't want us just to discuss it, or, or I don't mind, but I, my focus isn't, you know, what was this or is mm-hmm. this, but how do we, as uh, a messianic uh, movement, relate to something that appears to be spirit-led, God-led, God-done, and yet it's really outside uh, 
the scope of uh, Messianic Judaism. It didn't happen in one of our congregations. It didn't happen at one of our universities. It didn't happen. But, so how do we relate in, to that? But in fairness, um, the the um, chapel speaker, I don't know if he's a pastor or, or, or what, but the chapel speaker um, who spoke the message uh, at the, the chapel service that kicked the whole thing off, which, by the way, he walked off stage feeling like he bombed that bad boy. Like, he walked off thinking this was the worst message I've ever given. I mean, legitimately, he's he's done interviews on it. This is the worst message I've ever given. It was I didn't think it was going to sink. I didn't think I, I did well with it. Um, and then, and I'm not saying the message sparked it, but then this, this massive outpouring sparked. Um, he actually is a Jewish believer. Um, which is really interesting that the guy that spoke the message that kicked it off is a, a Jewish believer. And, and just to connect that in some way to the Brownsville revival, which took place what, 20 years ago or whatever it is uh, probably now. Probably more than that now, yeah. Um, the Brownsville revival also had Jewish believers. There was Dick Rubin, Michael Brown, Ron Cantor, others who were involved yeah. in that. Scott Scott Volk, Scott I think, was Volk part was of involved it, yeah. in that also. So, so there were Jewish believers involved. But it, you know, it's kind of like there. Sometimes I hear a song that plays a beautiful worship song, and somewhere in the back of my mind, I just think. Man, I wish a messianic had written that, so that so that I could you know, so that I could claim it as ours, as something that, and, and that's uh, honestly is not a, a, a healthy, in, in my opinion. Although I think that way sometimes, you know, don't, don't you wish Josh Aaron had wrote that, or Paul Wilbur had wrote that, or or Brooke Manolas had wrote that, or or somebody within our yeah. movement had written that beautiful song? Because yeah. there are some songs like "Awesome God" and, and others that are. Are like deeply moving. With W. Smith, Michael W. Smith, Michael yeah. W. Smith, yeah. So, <laughs> or most of the songs that like we grew up with as Paul Wilbur songs that we like identified yeah. as messianic songs were actually written by Christian artists, which is, I mean, not a bad thing at all. It's, yeah. it's great. Well, but uh, like it's most just of most of the music. Well, and I, I don't know if it's such an unhealthy thing. I mean, it can be if it's like the only thing you think about every time you hear a good song that's not messianic. Like, man, I wish I was messianic. But I think, you know, it's also, it can be a, you know, like if you love your team and, you know, you see a, a player score well for another team, you're like, man, I wish my team had scored well, you know, this uh, this past game. And so, you know, I don't know if it's an unhealthy thing to, yeah. you know, think like, oh, man, I wish that was by someone else. But, yeah. Right. But I, I think that, <clears throat> that that leads into the part of the conversation is... A big part of the groups that were against the Asbury move or against Brownsville or against the Toronto outpouring or any of the the Azusa Street revival, if you yeah. go all the way back that way, a part of that is it didn't happen in and with us. Yeah. It wasn't on our turf. Right. Yeah. It, it wasn't or, or, our people. It wasn't our leaders. Yeah. It wasn't our song leader. It wasn't – it was somebody else. And, and can God really move yeah. I mean, well, yeah. in, in Asbury yeah. or, or in wherever? And, go, ahead. go ahead. You were about to – Well, I, I was going to say, you know, the, the reality is is that Messianic Judaism – I've grown up in this. Like my whole life has been in Messianic Judaism. Um, and, and I mean – Rabbi Toby came in into this a little later than I did, but still, like I would say, it's at least half of his life has been in Messianic Judaism. Um, and and one of the things that I have heard time and time again at Messianic conferences in different congregations at all sorts of different things is the idea that we are the head and not the tail. Uh, but even more so that Messianic Judaism is a quote unquote end time revival movement, right? It, it 
started what we know as the modern mass aiming movement realistically started back in the mid 1800s and realistically a little earlier than that but what we what we recognize as the modern mass aiming movement was really birthed out of the Jesus movement um, and uh, which I really want to go see the the movie uh, that just came out Jesus the, Revolution the, yeah the Je- Jesus Revolution yeah. um, primarily because honestly it was shot in our area uh, the, the majority of the film was shot by uh, in Daphne Fairhope that area by where our synagogue yeah, is my only out. hesitation to watch Watching that movie is that Fraser Crane is the star. <laughs> I just have have a difficulty with with relating to that. Wish uh, they could fit the dog in there, but uh, no. So, uh, but but because of this this idea that Messianic Judaism is this end time revival movement, it was kind of birthed as we know it today, sort of out of the Jesus movement and and this big kind of revival movement. There's always this this like um, overt push for revival, for you know, outpouring, for renewal, for refreshing of the spirit, and so on. Um, and, and I think to some degree, and this kind of sows into what you were talking about, Rabbi Eric, I think to some degree, um, we have been so lost in the idea that it has to come from us, or that it should be in our house, that we miss out on the potential of what God could do in our house if we recognize that it isn't limited to us. Uh, and so when stuff like this happens, like uh, we, we just talked about it this Saturday at our, our synagogue, like we had, it was a really surreal experience. Um, the, you know, the, I, I, I gave a message and, and it's funny how this happens so often. I, I have nothing to do with the, the worship and the songs that are selected. And then I, I don't, I don't even look at them. As a matter of fact, I usually will pull up the song list in the middle of service just to know when we're supposed to go up on stage. What, okay. The end of this, so there's the last song. Okay. Now we know when to go up. Um, but there was a song that was done uh, this past Saturday um, by the worship team that, I mean, was and – and it happens consistently that was dead on with what the message was. And we had this unreal time of worship after the service. I mean, you know, we, we, I, I'll have Toby talk on this some in a second. But even down to uh, uh, Rabbi Toby's littlest, Kessie, um, you know, mm-hmm. just – what I could only describe as kind of going prophetic uh, on her just and and it was out of the blue. Everybody was like, wait, is she playing? Wait, what's, wait, no, those words aren't her words. Where are they coming from? This is unreal. This is crazy. Um, but it, it was very much one of those. And Yeshua says, uh, uh, you know, don't don't let these kids, you know, don't push these kids off. It's their heart. This is what you need to have. Yeah. Um, and it was very much that kind of a, a thing going on. Uh, worship was just unreal after the message was over and what have you. And, and there's this sense that something is stirring in a very real way. And I think one of the things that's uh, stood out to me about the Asbury stuff and some of the, the things that are happening elsewhere is that it's rooted in a heart of worship and repentance. It's and reconciliation. Not, yeah, yeah, and reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. A beautiful uh, uh, word to use there. It's, it's not in... Um, uh, uh, miraculous of uh, things occurring necessarily, and that's not to say that they haven't occurred through it. Yeah. But that's not the forefront. It's not you know uh, people hopping up out of wheelchairs or or people being raised from the dead or yeah. you know these 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 unreal, unimaginable, miraculous things. It's hearts turning back to God. And if yeah. you talk about what a biblical prophet was, a biblical prophet, their job wasn't to foretell the future their job was to call people to repentance yeah which i think is what's happening here well and i think what's you know it's always kind of like we, we like to joke about you know when things happen at conferences and stuff like dude read the room like come on you know <laughs> like when you look at who was attending 
all of these revive this these revival services mm-hmm. or just I guess revival service because it really was just one long service yeah. for for like, like two three weeks. weeks. Yeah, um, mostly young people, college yep. students, and, and living in the United States, which you know, in the United States, like you're. I'm sorry, but your miracles just aren't going to be necessarily people being healed all of a sudden. Those can be. But we live in a society where, like, God's given us doctors, and and you know we have you know healthcare, and people are able to take things and get you know access to care that you wouldn't have had in Yeshua's day, you, uh, and in some places in the world you still don't have. But when you have tons of college students coming forward and saying God has healed me and freed me from the binds of pornography, yeah. it's a huge problem in the United yeah. States, like overwhelmingly huge problem in the United yeah. States. And so for for belief, especially people at a theological seminary to come forward and be like, God has set me free of this desire. And, you know, I've I've walked into repentance and God has delivered me from it. I'm like, praise God, like that yeah. that is absolutely yeah. what we should look to see and hope to see. Yeah. I, um, so I'd like to say two things, and then I want to hear what Toby has to sure. say also, but. One is the definition of revival is something that is either dead that comes back to mm-hmm. life or something that is about to be dead that has life breathed into it. Yeah. We, the word revival isn't in the Bible, but renewal is yeah. the same term. And it has to do with breathing the breath of life back into something. The The other thing is that we tend to look at revival as um, a thousand people. 500 people, 2,000 people. But God looks at revival as when one sinner comes to repentance. Yep. And so when we when we are defining this, um, if Asbury or if Brownsville or if Toronto, if just one person came to true repentance, was born again or reborn and served God for their life, a revival would have taken place that we should recognize it, it's it's really a matter of do we get excited yeah. when all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance mm-hmm. do we join them in that is that part of who and what we are that that when we see something happen in Asbury or somewhere else or Africa or Korea a, a friend of mine is is on his way to um, South Africa or Africa this week to go preach to people, and he's going to preach, and people are going to come to repentance. Am I going to rejoice that people in Africa came to repentance even if I don't receive any benefit, glory, recognition, if I'm not involved? If, you know what I mean? Sure. And so so part of this discussion has to be um, how do we respond when God does something uh, unique yeah. and powerful outside of who we and what we are? And do we accept that it's a revival, that it's a God move, even if we're not involved yeah. in any way other than to rejoice with? Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't have any criticisms of it. Um, I, you know, I grew up the first – before I was called – I'm, I'm 42 now, and uh, I was called to Messianic Judaism in, in 05, and I was 25. So um, I grew up in the Baptist church. And in the in the Baptist church I went to, um, every year we'd have a revival, if that's what you want to call it. And what it really was was for a week we would have church every night, and we would just have a guest pastor. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't speak through these times, and I'm not saying that people aren't blessed and that incredible things happen because you know God is. 
the love of God and mercy of God and the grace of God is ridiculous. And if he has an opportunity to reach out and, and touch his people, his kids, he's going to do it. But it's not a revival. When, when a church is saying every year we're going to have church every night and we're going to bring in a guest pastor, that's not a revival. Because what often happens is the guest pastor goes home or gets an offering or something. And uh, we go back to having church every Sunday and everything's back to normal. Um, so that's because so for me it's it, it, it does have to be spontaneous. I, you know, Rabbi David talked about what happened at, at services past week, and what happened was um, we had a time of worship after the message, and my daughter, who's six, went up on the stage, and sometimes she does that just to like hug Brooke or hug me if I'm up there. Yeah. Uh, but she started talking about God, and she was saying things that were really beautifully simple about God, but we're saying things I've never heard her say, you know, we're saying things like, you know, we need to be sheep. God's a shepherd. We need to be sheep. And, and, and one of the most beautiful things she said is God is a nice man. Now I know that that sounds silly, but what I think she, that's the fact is, is that revival is about turning to God because his desire is not to judge. His desire is not to condemn. You know, everybody reads John three sixteen. It says, you know, um, for God so loved the world that they just stop there. It says God didn't send the son to condemn. He sent the son to save. But she was saying things like that. And, and I remember, it was just a few days ago, I wanted to go up and actually listen to what she was saying. But I was afraid if I walked up there, she would think that I was trying to stop her. Stop her and, and it would stop it. And God was like, don't do anything. And I was like, well, I want to hear it. And God's like, just don't do anything. I really felt like he told me not to do anything, and I also felt really scared. Not, I know that's weird, but like that was how I felt. I told Brooke, I said I, I felt really scared, not in a terrified way, but I just didn't know what was about to happen. And I think that that's just the impact that happens when God moves, and I think that that is a, a micro version of what revival is. Mm-hmm. It's spontaneous. It's spirit led. It's not always predictable. You can't plan it. You can't say you're going to have a revival. 6 p.m. tonight. You just can't do that. That's God's business, you know? Um, When I look at it from a messianic perspective now, um, yes, I do believe the messianic movement's the head. I believe that because, you know, the Jewish people are the first chosen people. They're going to get a double portion. They got God's salvation message first. They'll get it last. All that stuff. I just don't think that – I think that is going to happen. I just don't think it's happened yet to, you know, in the messianic realm uh, arena. Right. And and being the head doesn't always mean doing everything. It just means being in the forefront that is led behind. The other day, something happened in our synagogue that uh, it was after our Purim service. And and this may not sound like revival to everybody, but it really was revival to me. We were in our fellowship hall. Mm -hmm. And uh, after service, we had hamantashen, which are these little triangle-shaped cookies, and we had food and fellowship. And I was watching our young people, and in the line to get food, there were two groups of young people. One were the smaller five- to eight-year-old, ten-year-old, and the other were the the younger, uh, you know, 11 to 15, 11 to 17 group. And they were so busy talking to each other, uh, Mm -hmm. loving on each other, being together, being community, that the people ahead of them in line had gone on, Mm -hmm. and none of them were concerned 
that they weren't that that the food was ahead of them and they weren't getting there yet. That yeah. in other words, there you know this talks the Bible talks about loving God and loving each other, and I think a real sign of revival of life is loving each other is yeah. is being so involved in loving fellowship with each other right. that being the next one in line to get food or that somebody is going to eat before you or that you're so so these kids were standing there and and what blessed me was that none of the adults that were behind them were trying to change that right. like they weren't pushing them and saying right. hey you guys are in the way go ahead through the line it was just a a uh, spontaneous time of fellowship of loving one another yeah. of being there which i think is more important in some ways than just people who stand up and sing and then walk out of a room or uh, even maybe kneel down to pray and say a prayer but then leave to be by themselves and not and disconnected so uh, to me part of revival is not just loving god and repenting right. but it's loving our our, our neighbor as ourselves and, and really building relationship communally yeah. between uh, ages between Jew and non-Jew, between the differences that we have, between cultures, between all of the different aspects. So, uh, to me, and that's why what you're telling about your your child is yeah. so meaningful because here's a, a little one who gets it, right? And and regardless of the scope of of her words or her or prophetic approach or any of that, I would rather have somebody who really got touched by God. And is is like speaking God's truth to other people to share their love, uh, not to uh, you know. The, I can't express it any different than to just say that I thought it was so meaningful that like I welled up watching right. our young people and then our older people who were behind them in line who no one said mm-hmm. you guys need to move, you guys need to get out the way. You need none of that happened. It was just yeah. uh, so beautiful to me to see. Uh, people who are just loving one another and not, uh, I'm not going to get a cookie if I don't get through the line, or there won't be any coffee left if I get there, or you know whatever goes on. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think that actually, yeah, I, I had something I wanted to to say that I think what you just talked about feeds right into it, and that is that you know we are the messy antics podcast, and and as such. A big part of what we talk about are the messy antics of Messianic Judaism. Um, And Jonathan brought up a really good description of what revival should be or or something that should come from revival, which is reconciliation. You brought up the the idea that God says to to love God, love our neighbor, and that there should be this, this loving interaction where we care more about the relationship than we do about what's happening ahead or behind us and, and, and building that relationship. And, uh, uh, Rabbi Toby talked about the idea of spontaneity and, and, and the outpouring of the Ruach and, and so on. And, um, I think, and this is a really hard thing to say because it is very, it's, it's true. It's telling, but it's also something that I'm sure in, in many ways I can point to quite a few in my own life. In many ways, each of us and, and every other Messianic leader that I know of is 100% guilty of. Um, and I think that one of the reasons we have not seen revival, renewal, outpouring, whatever you want to call it in, in Messianic Judaism and Messianic congregations, the way that we all know it should be, the way we all hunger for and desire for is because we're so focused as individuals, as individual organizations, as individual congregations, we are so focused on 
proving that we are right or on talking about where everyone else is wrong. We we bicker back and forth organizationally. The 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 uh, congregational organizations fight back and forth. The mission organizations fight back and forth. The rabbinic ordination organizations fight back and forth. And and we create all of these barriers and divisions and separations and segregations. And, and these people are too orthodox, or these people are too churchy, or these people are too this, or these people are too that. Uh, and, and, and then if that's not enough, then we start to turn on the rest of the body. And we spend so much energy, oh, well, this church does this wrong, and that church does this wrong, and 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 for and I'm guilty of this in a lot of ways. You know, for eighteen, seventeen, eighteen hundred years, the body of Messiah has completely jacked up the Jewish uh, uh, history and heritage of the body of Messiah. But that doesn't mean that we need to then go and continue to to to, to destroy relationships and not walk in reconciliation and so on. Our organizations don't truly walk in reconciliation. Often, our congregations with each other don't truly walk in reconciliation. There are Messianic congregations that are in big cities that are 25, 30, 40, 50 miles away, sometimes more than that, that have nothing to do with each other because they're in the same city and they feel like they're in competition with each other. That is absurd. Absolutely absurd. There are roughly 8,000 Jewish people in Baldwin County, another 20 to 25,000 Jewish people in Mobile County. I can tell you right now, my congregation is not capable, suitable, or or able to, to honestly think we can reach all of them or be available to minister to all of them, much less everyone else God's gonna bring in. Yeah. If another congregation was to start up in our county, it would not hurt my feelings. It would not break my heart. I would want to be in relationship with them. Uh, uh, now, obviously, there are some lines we have to draw if there's theological issues or what have you, but I would want to be in relationship with them because yeah. we are stronger together than we are apart. And the reality is, is we eat each other alive. In Messianic Judaism, Messianic Judaism against the church, we eat each other alive. And, and if reconciliation, right. if restoration, if repentance is a part of outpouring renewal refreshing revival we're not going to see it till we get out of our own way i'd say it quite a bit joking around but also entirely serious um until we as messianic jews can stop correcting people when they say oh you're like jews for jesus right we we feel this like knee-jerk reaction oh no 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 no. i mean yes we're we're we both believe in yeshua we both believe in jesus but but they're missional and we're congregational they're this and we're that until we can just go yeah, we're like Jews for Jesus. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Until we can get past that, I don't think we're going to see revival the way it's supposed to be. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, and Asbury for me, you know, was kind of like a sifting, uh, a sieve, uh, because well, because you know, I'm always looking like to see kind of who is going to be kind of on coming up on some, on a move of God, and who's going to be looking for. You know the good of the good. What's looking for the good? Because you know the thing is, if you spend all your time, for example, and this is a, this is kind of like a red flag for everybody who's on the internet all the time. If you were watching a, you know, the YouTube channels you're watching, the blogs you're reading, the Facebook pages you're watching, if it spends more time with correcting everything and everybody rather than just actually telling you how to do what's right, right. Uh, you might want to reconsider, you know, participating in that. And, and the same thing with Asbury. Like as soon as I heard about revival, like I was. You know, years ago I would have been highly critical, and I, and I agree with Rabbi David. Like, you know, we, you know, all kind of have made those mistakes of jumping onto something and you know eating up and swallowing it uh, before it's even done cooking. And I've, you know, over the past few years have been 
had been purposeful and not jumping onto something immediately and just being content to say, oh, well, let's see what happens. Because, you know, the first critics, you know, and there are certain denominations that are, you know, more about it than others, have more critics than others, but they're very critical. And it's always criticism. Uh, you know, it's, uh, there's always some kind of angst. You know, they're very angsty. And, and I don't, it's, um, you know, it, on one hand, it, it can appear to be godly, you know, and they'll often, you know, people will use that. Well, I'm like a prophet or a judge. I'm like, okay, well, you know, get the rest of your life together first and then we'll see. You know, and, and it's like, I'm trying to, you know, judge this situation that's happening. Like, I don't know if you're properly judging this situation properly because everything out of your mouth is critical. You know, right. the only, the only, every time something happens or, or, you know, something comes out like, and, and, and and I, I would I would say this even if you're not intended to like go back through if you run a blog if you run a Facebook page go back through the last couple of years and see what your like what, like not the not the memes you share not the pictures you share but like go and see the individual posts that you type out and see am I critical of just everything yeah because there are some people like Asbury Asbury came out critical you know uh chosen tv show people are you know critical and they always have something it, it, it never can be oh what a blessing yeah you know and, and there never is oh what a blessing and, and so it's, and it's never a could this be god yeah it's just an immediate no it doesn't fit in my paradigm so yeah. it's not god yeah i i just want to say too on the other side of that actually um i'm glad you brought up social media with the asbury revival because um, I think there's a problem on both sides of the coin with that. I think there's a problem with people jumping out and being critical of it. And I'm not critical of it. I absolutely believe it was a move of God. Yeah. I also, well, for one thing, and this is for another episode, but let me just say, I absolutely can't stand the idea of, of uh, I don't want to say Christian, but believing personalities that are like celebrities. I just don't like yeah. that idea. Yeah. Uh, Yeshua, uh, he rejected celebrity. Um, the, the, the disciples rejected celebrity. In fact, they died or were exiled. I mean, th- these people avoided those kinds of things. And I just want to, you know, the whole idea of the celebrity believer, worship leader, the celebrity pastor, I yeah. think is absolutely ridiculous yeah. and not biblical. But I will say this, and, and I think it's irresponsible for some of those people. And, and I read an article about some of those these people that were like, I'm going. I'm like, let me tell you something. If I knew that, if I knew God was moving somewhere, yeah. would I want to go? You better believe. It. I don't think I would tell a soul. Yeah, I think that you want you want to scare you want to scare the dove that is the Holy Spirit off. Then come in there and film yourself pulling up yeah. and film yourself going in there, and which is what some of them did. Yeah, and I, I think that social media. Is, is is another problem with with that situation is because everybody's opinions are out there. Well, yeah, and, that's and it's what, not a bad thing always. Yeah, but I, I just didn't like that idea. Yeah. And in fact, in that article, it said that the leaders, the people that were like over this thing, which yeah. let me tell you, one of the one of the most beautiful things about this Asbury thing, the school admin. I yeah. don't know any of their names. No. I don't know any of them. Yeah, and they asked people to stay away. And they made a point to say, we don't want notable people up on the stage. Yeah. I think it was Tucker Carlson who asked if they could come do a reporting from Fox yeah. News. And they, and he respectfully, when they said, please don't, that he was right. They, they, they respectfully. But I'm talking out. about Christian. Yo, no, no, I know. Yeah. I, yeah. The notable Christians that, that yeah. you know, and, right. and, and 
Like one, I know, and I'm not going to say the name, but one went in there and didn't make a big deal about who they were, but still they filmed themselves pulling up. Yeah. And then they posted it later. And I'm like, listen, if God is moving, why don't you go there and try to meet God? Yeah. I got a funny story about this exact thing because when Brownsville was going on here in Pensacola, I was living in Mobile, and people from our congregation said we should go down and visit and just be in service, see what's, you know experience what was being experienced and so we went down there to brownsville and uh i was purposely like we were just going in to just be there right and and we arrived there and they said uh the the main sanctuary is full we're gonna have to send you to the overflow room which i was fine with and we we were just going to the overflow room and on the way in they said oh wait we're gonna have to move you back to the Sanctuary because the sound system in the overflow room had been hit by lightning the night before. And so they had us go in and sit on the, the stairs in the sanctuary the leading up to the balcony, which happened to be very comfortable. And so we were sitting there, and Michael Brown happened to be up on the platform, and he looked out and saw us and sent one of the ushers to come tell us to come sit on the uh, platform in the choir chairs, which I didn't want to do because right. I was just wanting to not be to, just to not be, be seen just be there so we walked up and there were seating for everybody in the choir thing except for one person so i said fine y'all sit there i'm going to go sit back on the comfortable stairs uh and went there and then michael sent the usher back and had me come sit on the platform in between kilpatrick and steve hill wow. on the plat like i was not wanting to be seen at all and i told people i'm i don't want to be no right. scene. I just want to be here and, and just be part of the congregation. It turned out I was up on the platform, and I and it's just so funny to see God turn that completely around. Where I didn't want to be seen, and suddenly I'm right there on the platform next to the pastor and the the evangelist sitting there on the thing. The, the other thing I wanted to say is that, uh, or two things, real quick. One is that we tend to judge revival based upon the parents and not the children. In other words, if if revival is a new birth, then what is the result of the revival is a separate entity from the parents. In other words, you can have two really good people who have a baby, and you can have two really bad people that have a baby, and neither baby should be judged Mm -hmm. by the parents. Likewise, we shouldn't judge a birth, uh, a new birth, or a a bringing to life of something based upon who God chose to use to bring that about. You know, if we look at the people in the Bible that God chose to bring about, like Peter and Paul and and others that we read, we would we would judge them harshly. Mm-hmm. Like, would would we accept the revival of Pentecost if we were looking at Peter as the guy who just denied Messiah right. before he got up there to do it? Would would we look and say, oh, God can't use Peter to bring revival yeah. because he just denied him and, and he just sliced off a guy's ear and, and, and all of these things? So we have to understand that the baby is not to be judged by the parents. Yeah. It's a separate thing. So So we have to look at it that way. And I loved what David was saying about unity across congregations we we've worked very hard in our region to fellowship and if somebody comes to our congregation that's closer to Daphne or Fairhope we immediately tell them you know there's a congregation 
that's closer to you, you guys should go visit there and, and, and check them out and try to connect there or by Navarre or by Dothan or, or any of the congregations around here. And most of the congregations in this area were started as a result of saying that community needs a congregation, so we're going to take people from the home congregation, like the, the congregation in Daphne started as a Bible study with people that were driving to Pensacola that we said it doesn't make sense for six cars to drive to Pensacola. We'll just have one. We'll find a place there. And then God called Rabbi David to come lead that group, and he converted that Bible study into a a full congregation. But it wasn't a, oh, we can't let those people go because if we let them go start something over there, we'll lose the finances or our congregation will get smaller. Or You know, if we send six families or eight families or two families or whatever, it's got to be kingdom-minded. And that's one of the things Rabbi David was talking about earlier, if, if we would get kingdom-minded instead of our kingdom-minded, it would change a lot of these things that go on. Yeah, well, that's one reason. That's and that's I, I appreciate a lot that like Asbury had nobody at the helm. Like the only real leadership we saw with Asbury was the school admin saying, "Please leave the kids alone. <laughs> let them like let them do let them conduct songs as they feel led. Let them conduct prayers as they feel led. Please don't come in here and try to make this a thing." Um, and it just uh, carried on but there was no big name there were no big names attached to this they, that could claim responsibility for it. there were no MacArthur's there were no Pipers you know there, there were no um, you know mega church pastors it was all just organic you know people pouring out in prayer and in worship and you know we heard lots of testimonies and stories of repentance coming out of it and and you know maybe a quarter of those people will go on to live lives as disciples of Yeshua maybe all of them will you know God you know God willing but at this, you know, that's not for us to. You know, we can look and re- and reflect and make those you know observations uh, on the way down the road. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just I don't know. I'm very against coming right out and the first thing out of our mouth is uh, it's not not real revival. Yeah, <laughs> so not, not real. So I want to I want to say this, and uh, I I think this is a really important. Uh, we had actually talked about. Uh, originally getting into some of the gifts of the spirit conversation, things like that. I think we're going to have to hold that off for another episode um, because uh, I think we're, we're running out of time. Uh, but with that said, I do want to put a couple of things into perspective out of everything we've talked about. Um, Galatians 5, uh, 13 through, through 25, uh, 26 are some of my favorite verses in scripture, primarily because it gives us a really good perspective of what um, uh, a life filled in the Ruach or filled with the Ruach actually looks like, right? So I'm going to read that passage, um, and, and then we're going to close out this episode. And I think it, it'd be valuable for us to pick this conversation up again in another episode and to uh, to continue to flesh this out, because I think there's a lot more that we've, I think we've only barely scratched the surface. I think there's a lot more healthy conversation that could come from this that would bring about uh, uh, hopefully a lot of benefit, a lot of growth, not just for our congregations and Messianic Judaism, but potentially for the body of Messiah as a whole, um, especially in consideration of things like not coming aggressively um, against something just because it's not the way we like it or would have done it or preferred it, um, but instead to watch and see and wait and pray and, and, and listen to what God says about it. 
So uh, Galatians 5.13, and this feeds directly into a lot of what we've talked about, reconciliation, restoration, loving God and man, uh, and, and so on. Says uh, Paul says, brothers and sisters, you are called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole Torah can be summed up in a single saying, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not destroyed by one another. Right out the gate, we just covered everything we just talked about, right? But it continues on. But I say, walk by the Ruach, or the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Ruach, but the Ruach sets its desires against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you cannot do what you want. But if you are led by the Ruach, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, just as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit God's kingdom. When we talk about repentance and restoration that has occurred out of events like uh, the Asbury uh, uh, revival or, or whatever we want to call it, this is what's happened. These kids have literally turned their lives around and said that the Lord has freed me from these very issues. And I, I am walking this out in a very literal sense. And he goes on. Paul goes on in verse 22 and says, but the fruit of the Ruach is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Messiah have crucified the flesh, all those things mentioned as deeds of the flesh, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Ruach, let us also walk by the Ruach. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, now, Now, I say all of that to say this. We spend so much time focused on the gifts of the Spirit and what the gifts of the Spirit look like, right? Whether or not somebody speaks in tongues, whether or not they prophesy, whether or not there's healings or whatever these, these other manifestations of the Spirit are, trying to make definitions on what that looks like. Um, but the reality is that uh, while we bicker and complain and fight over that, far too often those same believers are not actually walking out the fruit of the Ruach in their lives in a very literal sense. Because I don't care if you speak in tongues every time you pray. If you're treating your service staff at a restaurant like trash, if you're immediately griping and complaining because other congregations are or or or, or, or other whatever are experiencing things that yours not is not experiencing or you're not happy about it out the gate instead of testing the spirit and seeing what it is. If you're treating if if you're beating your wife, if you're uh uh treating your children like trash if you're uh and i say all of this this way because so often so many believers live a very visible facade of a life of a believer Mm -hmm. but in the dark where the rest of the world can't see they're not walking in the fruit of the spirit right And, and and if we are truly experiencing an outpouring a renewal a revival the fruit of the Spirit is going to permeate every ounce of our being, and it better permeate every ounce of our being. And if there's something like the Asbury outpouring going on, we as leaders in the Messianic community, we as leaders in the body of Messiah, we should be the first to go, hey, guys, shut up, watch, and listen, and see what the Lord says. Let's not jump to conclusions. Let's see what God is doing 
in this uh, uh, this scenario. And to wrap this up, uh, this episode and this whole thought is, as I said earlier, that revival is a new birth. And Rabbi Jonathan's got a, a child that's, what, nine months old now? And a new baby is an amazing thing. But it's going to dirty its diapers. It's going to make a mess. It's going to puke on you. It's going to pee on you. It's going to... these. The, so what I'm saying is that, that just because somebody had a supernatural experience and they become newborn doesn't mean they're not going to be messy. Doesn't mean they're not... So sometimes we try... We judge a birth whether it was real or not, by how the baby lives those early times. And we need to be careful that we don't judge in that way. Uh, I know we've tried to close twice now, but I ha- I re- what you were saying reminded me of something I wanted to read before um, we got off here. That thing's very relevant. It's, by a, it's a post by a man named Israel Wayne. <clears throat> he writes... What was the result of the real Jesus revolution? This was kind of written in response to the movie that came out. While a whole bunch of people got saved, and some of them immediately baptized, even though they had never been inside a church building, they started a bunch of churches with uh, baby believers coming out of practicing the occult and lots of sexual sin. They had some leaders who were great and godly, but some who preached Christ out of envy, competition, and self-ambition. Despite their bad motives, at least Christ was preached, at least Messiah was preached. The churches were a mix of some good and bad stuff. A lot of them were informal and in homes, they had close fellowship and community, but also a ton of problems, like deep sexual sin in some churches, even after their professions of faith, which was sometimes worse than even what the culture of the time found acceptable. False prophets, embracing mystical Gnostic ideas, and church leaders apostatizing after years of faithful service. They saw real healings, but also people who wanted to become professional healers for money. They had real demons driven out of people, but also fake deliverance ministries that were all for show. Sometimes the church leaders didn't get along. Sometimes they had splits and refused to work with each other. Some churches really got off track theologically and started teaching heresies. It was kind of a glorious mess. It was a bunch of things all mixed up together. It wasn't all good, and it wasn't all bad. But it was a move of God, and the Jesus people spread the gospel around the world, although imperfectly. If you tried to capture it all in a movie, you could never tell the whole story, and much of it certainly wouldn't be family-friendly. Oh, wait. Did you think I was talking about the Jesus movement in the 1970s? No, I was talking about the early church. So that's a reality. As we look at this revival, whether it's Asbury, whether it's Brownsville, whether it's Toronto, whether it's the first century, uh, new birth is messy, it's sloppy, it's dirty diapers, it's puke, it's all of those things but it's also vibrant and alive and life-changing. And there is no parents that have a child that aren't likewise affected by their child, and it changes everything about their world. So when the body of Messiah starts having new births, it's going to be sloppy and messy. There's going to be problems. As it grows, you're going to have more problems and changes, and things are going to happen, some that are wonderful. I mean, there's nothing like watching a baby uh, sleep. I mean, a brand new baby, when you look in their crib and you watch them sleep and, and, and experience that. At the same time, nobody likes getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning to change that diaper and to get peed on and to get puked on and all that. But it's the reality of life. 
And we need to, if we're going to experience true revival and on a, on a scale that we want to see it, we have to be prepared for lots of new births, lots of excitement, lots of joy, lots of celebration, all of those things, but also lots of dirty diapers, lots of being puked on, lots of being, you know, all the things that come with that. So anyhow, I think that's probably a good place to end for today. And uh, we hope you'll share this with other people. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to make, feel free to contact us through our social media or on whatever site you listen to this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Messy Antics podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at Messy Antics Podcast.